are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. God's Word and turn to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to begin in verse number 8, and uh, so happy to have an extra hour of sleep, amen? If you're happy and you know it, say amen. Amen, Amen. and uh, we're so grateful to have everyone that's online watching with us today, and those of you that are watching online, uh, you're going to see that at the bottom of our screen is a number, a text number, so if you didn't catch the number from Pastor Craig, or maybe you have a prayer request, or maybe you need to take a next step, whatever that is, uh, please just text in, say hello, tell us uh, maybe you're a longtime member and you haven't come back yet to Central in person. Please let us know that, so that we can pray for you. Well, Hebrews chapter 11 is where we are this morning. Let's go ahead and stand and get the blood flowing. Hebrews chapter 11, page 1077 in my Bible, and uh, whatever your tablet or whatever you're using, it'll be there. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 8. The Bible says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him with the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. You may be seated. In early 2015, there was a international national controversy that took place. As a matter of fact, strife, division, varying opinions cascaded on social media, the news, and even in the streets. People living in the same house, people going to the same church, people working at the same job had different opinions about this issue. The controversy centered on a picture of a dress. It was posted on social media. Some people see the dress as blue and black. Some people see it as gold and white. After millions of people responded, some are adamant that it is one color over the other, but yet the controversy still continues. I believe it is blue and black. Amen? Amen? Now, some of you may say, no, pastor, it is gold and white. Any of you? All right. Well, we'll pray for those of you that believe it's gold and white. But it is amazing. The controversy is still continuing. It is amazing how we can look at the same thing and yet come away with different conclusions. Now, there is nothing truer than when it comes to politics in America, that statement that we can see the same thing and yet come away with different conclusions. Some people, when they think of politics, when they think of the government, they look at the government and believe that it should be bigger and more involved in our daily lives. Others look at the government and they believe that it should be smaller and less involved in our daily lives. Our nation is more polarized and divided over politics, political ideologies, and personalities than any other time in American history outside of the Civil War. And so the question that we have this morning 
is that how should we as believers respond? How should we live in light of the visceral division of our day? And so this morning we are continuing our series in Abraham, but yet looking at a different passage of Scripture because I believe that through looking at the life of faith of Abraham, we can see how we as believers live and should navigate in the midst of a presidential election because we have seen over these past few weeks that the life of Abraham is faith illustrated, but it's not faith perfected. God called Abraham to leave the known for the unknown, to trust in the God of the impossible, to take his hand off of his life so that he could be a blessing to others. And Abraham, we see really what life, what a life of faith really looks like. And so Hebrews 11 is actually God's perspective of the faith-filled life of Abraham. And what we see is that Abraham continues living in a world that was against him, but yet he continues living in a, in a world because he can do so because he was looking for a city that has foundations. He wasn't looking down. He wasn't looking around. He was looking up. And from this, we can learn how we as believers should live a life of faith and how we should be looking towards a city that has foundation as we live our lives each and every day. Because this morning, our foundation in the midst of life, in the midst of the presidential election is Jesus. He is our foundation. He is the one that holds us together. And if you are a Christian this morning, he is and must be your foundation. So what we learn this morning is this, is that since Christ is our foundation as believers, here are three truths that we get from that. Number one is that we have a greater identity in the person of Jesus. We have a greater identity in the person of Jesus. Verse number eight says that by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. Abraham was in his 60s when he was called to leave the Ur of the Chaldees and eventually leave the town of Haran. He was to leave his homeland. He was to leave his family. He was to leave everything that he had ever known all of his life. He was called to forsake his family and he was called to cast aside the comfortable. He was to close his eyes and take God by his hand. And in doing so, he was called to embrace his new identity. See, in ancient culture, in ancient Eastern culture, your family, your community, your land was, was everything. You were who your family is and where you lived, your name, your future, your spouse. All of those things were wrapped up in your community and where you lived. These were the foundations of a traditional society. And yet, the Bible says here that Abraham left all of those things, and he went to live into a land of promise that, as a, in a foreign land. You know the thing about Abraham's life? He lived over 100 years, and, and he never really arrived. He was constantly traveling. He lived his entire life as a foreigner in the land. Yes, he lived in Canaan, but he was not a Canaanite. He was a sojourner. He was never really a resident. He lived in tents. He moved around. If you follow the, 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 the path of his life, he moves from this place to that place, never firmly planted in one place. Canaan land may have been his house, but it never was his home. Because Abraham did not find his identity in where he lived, but he found his identity in who God said he was. Abraham's new identity was found in the fact that he was called that he was chosen by God, that he was a friend of God, that he was counted as righteous in God, and that God changed his name from Abram, which is daddy, to Abraham, big daddy. And he was looking forward in faith to what God had ordained for his life. That's where he found his identity. See, you and I are all prone to find our identities in other things. The essence of our idolatry is to build our life on something or someone other than God. 
See, as fallen, broken people, we tend to construct ourselves by on our accomplishments that we find on our resumes, by our ethnicity, by our gender, by our education or career, by our marital status or parental roles or the object of our sexual longings or even our political ideologies or leanings. Family, heritage, nationalism, ethnicity, gender, politics have all become in America the place where people find meaning and seek meaning and purpose in life. As a matter of fact, a lot of people go into politics to express their identity and to have their identity affirmed. One word that maybe you've heard in the past decade is this term of identity politics. Identity politics is when a people or a particular group of people uh, identify uh, either through race, ethnicity, gender, or sexual orientation. They, uh, they identify and find their particular identity, and they form alliances and organize politically to defend their group's interests. And so the more identities you have, the more specialized your identity, the more that you can intersect your identity in so many different ways uh, that, that you, uh, the, the really the more special you are, the better, the, the more ways you can find yourself. And so what it happens is that, is that it reduces humans to a certain set of distinguishable identities that separate you from other humans. And so you can say, I am this and this and this and this and this, and that separates me from you. But the problem is is that that kind of ideology of identity politics creates the narrative and reinforces the narrative of us versus them. See, for so many of those that are outside of Christ, for so many people in our world, the ultimate goal in life is to find out who you are, to find out who you love, to find out what you like, and then to express who you are, who you love, and what you like to other people. And if other people do not celebrate you for being you, then those people are bigots and therefore they must be canceled. And here's what I want you to hear this morning is that all of us have a tendency of doing this. I'm not just talking about a certain group of people. All of us tend to find our identity in one thing or the other and we want want others to affirm us and to celebrate with us. And what happens is this, is that if I idolize my earthly identity, if I make it the greatest, then I will demonize and criticize anyone who threatens it or seeks to harm it. Now, I want you to understand the Bible does not deny the reality nor the importance of being different. God created us to be different. Aren't you glad he didn't make us all the same, to look the same, to talk the same, to act the same? He made us different. He made us male and female. He he gave us different skin pigmentation. He gave us different cultures. He he put us in different parts of the world with different preferences and different parents. All all those things are great. They, They should be celebrated. You, you should celebrate that the person that God has made you to be, that, that there is a beauty in diversity. I don't like things that are always the same. I love the beauty of diversity. But yet, here's what you have to understand. All of those things, as great as they may be, cannot be my primary identity if I am a Christian. As Christians, our primary identity cannot be in our gender, our political leanings, our ethnicity, education, socioeconomic status, family name, or location. Our primary identity must be in Christ. 91 times in the New Testament, believers are called to be, they are in Christ. See, our identity in Christ transcends any other identity that we may have. Do you understand that Jesus died so that you could have a new identity? And so before I am anything else, I am a Christian first. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. The Bible says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. For, and if you are Christ's, then you are 
Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise. Now, keep that last verse in mind. What he says here that you're neither Jew nor Greek, male or female, slave or free. You know, he's speaking culturally, this cultural barrier, Jew or Greek, class barrier, slave or free, gender barrier, male or female. He's saying that in Christ, those, those things, that, that, that they, they're there, but here's what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean that when you become a Christian, you're no longer a Jew or no longer a Greek. It doesn't mean that when you become a Christian, you're no longer a male or a female. You don't cease to be those things. What it means is that, that, that's, that our identity in Jesus is weightier than any other earthly distinction. So here's what I could say. I could say this. I am a white, heterosexual, married man with three kids who is the pastor of the greatest church in the world, loves Kentucky sports, and drives a pickup truck. You could say that, okay? There's something, people, something women love about a pickup man. Matter of fact, you could set my truck on fire and roll it down a hill. I still wouldn't trade anyway. Um, now, I can say those things, but here's what you have to understand. Those things are things that describe me, but they cannot and should not be things that define me. And here's what sin does. Sin takes things that should describe me and uses them to define me. See, when, when I became a Christian, I didn't cease to be a man who loves Kentucky basketball. It just means that those earthly distinctions don't matter as much as my eternal heavenly distinctions. So we celebrate the diversity of our community, but we also understand that there's something greater. There's a greater identity in Christ, in the person of Christ, than in anything else in this world. And the second thing that we learn is that not only do we have a greater identity, but we also have a stronger unity in the purposes of Jesus. Now, here's what we see this in the life of Abraham. In verse number nine, the Bible says that he was living, Abraham was living in tents, okay, with Isaac and Jacob. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in the foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, so Abraham passed the covenantal promises to his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob. Both men had their own personal encounters and relationship with God, Isaac and Jacob, and all three men we see are heirs according to the same promise. So you have the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were all heirs to this promise that God was going to bless the world through them. They had a common purpose, and in their life they were heading in the same direction as believers we have a common purpose, and we are headed in the same direction. We have a gospel unity because we are heirs of the same promise. Genesis, or Galatians 3.29, remember that verse I read a moment ago. He says, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm, Father. I see some of you, come on now. Listen, <laughs> if you are in Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, and you are an heir according to the promise. Now, here's the good thing. All that God promised Abraham he has fulfilled and will fulfill in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And so we are united with every other Christian around the world. We are one in Christ regardless of anything that the world suggests should divide us. So our union in Christ should equal unity with Christians. Dr. Tony Evans put it this way. He said, the church is the place 
where racial, gender, and class distinctions are no longer to be divisive because of our unity in Christ. This does not negate the differences that remain intact, but oneness means that the differences are embraced. Think about this. We have more in common with someone who is in Christ than someone who is not in Christ. So your Democrat neighbor who is a believer, you have more in common with him or her than your Republican neighbor who is not a Christian. Your Republican neighbor that is a Christian, you have more in common with him or her than your Democrat neighbor who is not a Christian. We are united in Jesus Christ. And we have a purpose to glorify God, enjoy him forever, and to expand his kingdom on earth till he comes. And so we have way more that unites us than anything in this world that should divide us. But unfortunately, and sadly, many of us who are followers of Jesus, have allowed MSNBC, CNN, and Fox News to disciple us more than Jesus. Ed Stetzer, in his book, Christians in an Age of Outrage, put it this way. He said, sadly, Christians of varying religious traditions, ethnicities, and socioeconomic backgrounds have often followed their non-Christian friends deep into these political divisions. Thus, even as the country slowly entrenches itself along political, cultural, and economic lines, professing Christians are often on the front lines of these divisions. Christians are not just getting swept away by the culture of tribalism and partisanship. We are at the very forefront of the divide. Just this week, I've had to learn in a very vivid way that I, myself personally, can get caught up in the, swept, the sweeping uh, culture of tribalism and partisanship. Here's a question I want to ask you. If someone in our church, whether it was me or someone else, told you who they voted for, would it change how you think of them? If they told you who they voted for that was opposite of you, would it change what you think of them? Would it change how you treated them? Would you still attend this church? A Lifeway study in 2018 found that, the, that very few people attend church services with Bible-believing Christians who hold different political views than them. Here's what I wonder. Could it be that the election does not cause problems in our nation, but only reveals them? Could it be that in the church, the election does not cause problems, but it reveals problems within the church that were already there, the fault lines of our disunity? Could it not be that we've allowed peripheral things, non-gospel things, partisan things, tribalistic things to divide us rather than allow the gospel to unite us? You know, sometimes we say things like this, or you hear people say things like this, you can't be a Christian and vote for. You can't be a Christian and vote for Donald Trump. You can't be a Christian and vote for Joe Biden. You can't. Or we'll hear people say things like this, the Christian position on health care is this, or the Christian position on gun control is this, or the Christian position on immigration is this, or the Christian position of foreign policy is this. Here's the problem with that. When we begin to do that, we begin to then judge whether or not someone is authentically a Christian in ways that the Bible does not clearly teach and Jesus did not authorize. David Platt put it this way in his recent book, Before You Vote. He says, we can use the word Christian in ways that unbiblically divide the church and ultimately defame the name of Christ. Here's a question. Are there issues that we should deal with? Yes. And these are not political issues. These are biblical issues. These are spiritual issues. Has God clearly spoken on some issues? And the answer is yes, he has. One is he has clearly spoken on gender. God has clearly made people as distinct men and women in his image. 
Therefore, the Christian position affirms two genders as gifts of grace from God to be honored in every person. So, no, it is not right for someone to say that an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old has the ability, the faculty and the ability to choose what gender they want to be. But in the same regard, there is no way that some man should belittle, dehumanize, or talk down to some woman because each person is made in the image of God. God is very clear that God has made man and female in his image for his glory, a unity and diversity and a complementarian relationships. God has clearly spoken about marriage. God clearly defines marriage as a monogamous relationship between one man and one woman for one lifetime. The Christian position is that doing justice involves defending and promoting marriage according to God's definition. God has clearly spoken about life. God clearly indicates that he forms children in their mother's womb and that all human life is made in the image of God. That is life both inside the womb and outside the womb and both are equally important. If you only focus on life inside the womb and and neglect and negate any life outside of the womb, you're going to be sadly mistaken. So when it comes to justice and racial justice and, and discrimination, the church has a word that we as believers should not discriminate. We should not treat anyone unjust because of their age, their ethnicity, their gender, or their disability. All are made in the image of God. But yet, we do protect life in the womb because if there is no womb, there is no tomb. If people do not have a chance to live, they do not have a chance to, be, to serve and honor and glorify God. But here's what you have to understand, my friends. No matter which way you vote, you are going to support a candidate that will not or probably will not align with the biblical foundations in everything, every way possible. You're not. So don't start saying that you are. We have to be careful not to allow non-gospel issues that the Bible is not clear and direct about to cause division between us. Folks, these things ought not to be. And yet, all of us, even myself, can be caught up into the wave of our day and be so unfocused on the kingdom of God. Al Mohler, in a recent article, wrote this. He says, if politics become primary, the church is reduced to a political party. Politics are never off the horizon, but if it dominates the horizon, Christian fellowship is undermined. Jackie Robinson, who we should celebrate, Christian born-again believer, was the first African-American to integrate into the major leagues of baseball. If you have seen the movie 42 or if you know his history, one thing you'll know is that here in Sanford, we are notorious to be that one city that, uh, probably of a few others, but that one city that ran him out because of his skin color. He wasn't allowed to play at Celery Field because of his ethnicity. What an evil thing that is. Well, in one game, the Brooklyn Dodgers were playing at Cincinnati against the Cincinnati Reds. While there in the outfield, people were lobbing some of the worst kind of racial epithets and slurs imaginable at Robinson. He was crushed. In the middle of this, 
vitriol. Pee Wee Reese, who is from Kentucky, ran over to him. And if you've seen the movie 42, this is a very touching part of the movie. Put his arm on Jackie's shoulder and tells him to hang in there. And in that moving moment, against the hatred of that day, Pee Wee Reese was saying to Jackie Robinson, we're on the same team. So you can vote one way and I may vote another way, but I have to remember that in Christ we're on the same team. We are different, but yet united in Christ. And I'm glad that when we get to heaven, they're not, we don't have to show our party ID. We are not, as J.D. Greer said, the tribe of the elephant. We're not the tribe of the donkey. We are the tribe of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's our tribe. And we're united in Christ. See, we have a greater identity in the person of Christ. We have a a stronger unity in in, in the purposes of Christ. But lastly, we have a better security in the promises of Jesus. Verse 10, he was looking, Abraham, for he was looking forward to a city that has foundations. Abraham was a Bedouin. He was a nomad. He lived from place to place, in and out of tents. But yet, in his life, over a hundred years of his life, he was looking for a city. A city that had foundations. Why would he look for a city that had foundations? Were were there not cities all around Canaan land that had foundations? Why was he looking for a city? Well, one is tents don't have foundations. Tents are temporary. Foundations are permanent. But he was looking for something that was permanent. He was looking for something lasting, something eternal. He was tired of moving around. He was looking for a city. You know, every time I hear this, I think of the happy Goodmans. Some of you, a handful of you that love Southern Gospel, you can just hear right now, looking for a city where we'll never die. That was horrible, but it was something. See, Abraham was faithful and obedient in the present because he had confidence in what God was going to do in the future. He was looking forward, not backward. Looking upward, not downward. He knew that the best was yet to come. He lived by faith, recognizing that one day he would experience a joy that is greater than any joy you could ever know here. I mean, you think about that. Every joy, every joyful experience we have on earth doesn't last long. Every joy has its limits. Every fruit has its bruise. Every relationship has its disappointments. Every victory comes with a battle to come. Every rose has its thorn. Every service has its critic. Every birth and every wedding has its funeral nearby because nothing lasts. Abraham was looking for a city whose designer and builder is God. He was looking for a heavenly city, nothing on earth. Because here's the deal all of us on earth, we live in a tent. Your body's a tent. Some tents are better than others. But in this tent, we are looking and longing for something permanent built by someone who does not and cannot change. And therefore, we cannot and should not look to the uncertainty of politics or politicians or political parties. Listen, only God can make us great again. Only God can build us back better. Only God can do that. 
How many times have you heard, this is the most important and critical election of your lifetime? You hear it almost every four years. I mean, they're saying it right now. This is the most important critical election of your lifetime until the next one. And it is true, elections have consequences. And sometimes those consequences are good and sometimes those consequences are bad. Elections have real significance for human beings and communities. They do. Elections do matter. Your vote does matter. It it is incumbent upon you to express your voice in a democratic republic that we live in. You should vote. We are called to be salt and light, and salt is that which holds back the decay, and light is that which shines in darkness. It matters, but here's the good news. It doesn't ultimately matter. See, if I had my druthers, I know who I want to be elected, but I know it doesn't ultimately matter. You want to know why? Because whoever gets elected cannot and will not change your or my eternal destiny. Jesus on a cross in an empty tomb settled that issue a long time ago. And here's what you have to understand. Jesus is not returning on Air Force One. He's not. And so here we are. Hebrews 13 speaks of kind of where we are. He says, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The book of Hebrews describes this city. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, he calls it heaven. Hebrews 4.11, he calls it rest. Hebrews 12.28, he calls it a kingdom. In Hebrews 11.14, he calls it a better country. And in the same verse, he calls it a heavenly country. It is a city that will come down from heaven and where we will dwell with God and all the saints forever. We will be home at last. That's the city. We're looking for home. See, this world is not our home. Today, we do not have a lasting, abiding, continuing city here on this earth. Everything here has an expiration date on it, and it's only a matter of time until it all falls apart. While you may have a physical address where you lay your head at night, that is not your home, and therefore we cannot and must not live like this world is our home. We are looking for a city. Eric Raymond, uh, a writer for the Gospel Coalition, wrote an article, and here's a paragraph from that article. He said, Jesus never called the church to redeem culture or create a Christian America. Our job is to glorify God by declaring and demonstrating the gospel. The church is an embassy of grace on foreign soil. We must remember that this church has been, is being, and will be built by Jesus Christ. The gospel will advance and the church will be built whether the cultural wind is at our backs or in our face. It will be built because our death-conquering king ensures it. So in Jesus, we have a greater identity. We have a stronger unity. And we have better security. No election or politician can give us what Jesus can give us. No politician has done for you, whether it's over 47 years or 47 months, what Jesus has done for you. See, Jesus took our sinful identity at the cross so that we get his righteous identity before God. Jesus was separated from the Father for us so that we could be united to the Father and be united to each other because of him. Jesus left the city of God and came to the city of man so that we could leave the city of man one day and be forever in the city of God. Hallelujah. Last Sunday, I asked for those that are watching online 
to send us a text and just kind of let us know who you are and how we can pray for you. And so one of the people that did do that was, was a former member named Ann Richards. Ann is probably one of the neatest ladies that I know. She's just absolutely just phenomenal. And, and I know she watches us at the 930 service. Ann and her husband, John, um, moved back to Lake Wells uh, about a year ago to be with their family, be with their kids, their adult kids. So Ann sent us a message to thank us for being faithful. And I just want to say thank you for being faithful, for having a live streaming opportunity, for how God's making an, an impact in her life. But she also wanted us to know that her husband, John, passed away in September. And so I loved John and Ann. And on Monday, I called her to talk to her. And I wanted her to know that we're, we love her and we're praying for her. And I, I, I've kind of had, I want to be quite honest with you, a lot of my passion in this message is I'm preaching to myself. Be honest with you, these past few weeks, I don't know about you, but they've been very tough for me. I've, I've been struggling personally. And so I was talking to her on the phone, and, and, it, and she said, you know what? Talking about her husband's passing. She said, this is not what we had planned. We didn't plan for this. But through it all, I've got peace. I've got peace. She said, I've been able to worship God and read my Bible. She said, I've been really struck in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 26, verse 3, you keep him in perfect peace. whose mind is fixed on you because he trusts in you. She said, I just sit in my house and I just listen to worship songs. She says, I love Lauren Daigle. Just love her. And she says, God has been preparing me for this. And he's given me a job to do on this earth until he either calls me home or comes and gets me. But she said this, I'm just going to trust in Jesus. You know, in the past two or three weeks, I've been sitting having pity parties and anxiety attacks. And you say, well, not me, preacher. Well, good for you. And I just said, I wrote this down. I said, there is nothing greater than talking to somebody whose home is not this world. See, that's why we need the church. That's why we need each other. So we need to encourage each other as the day is coming near. And that's why we need to be in groups. And this is why we need to have other believers in our life. This is why we need to be faithful not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Because the world is not going to get better before it gets worse. It's going to get worse before it ever gets better. Persecution is coming. It doesn't matter who goes in the White House. I'm telling you right now, persecution is coming from the church. It's coming. It's coming for you. It's coming for your family. And then there's going to come a day where you're going to have to say, I love Jesus. I trust Jesus. Or you're going to have to compromise. My prayer is that you'll say, I'm going to stand because I have a greater identity. I have a stronger unity and a better security than anything this world can offer. Because Christ is my foundation. And for those of you watching online and those of you in this room, if Christ is not the foundation of your life, if you've never given your life to Him, oh, what a great day to give your life to Jesus. What a great day. We don't know what the future is going to hold, but we know who holds the future. And His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for this day. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the Gospel. We thank you, Father, for the fact that this, this world is not our home, that, God, that we don't have to put our tent peg too deep because we're looking for a city that has foundations. Lord, we're looking for that place, that wonderful place where you're going to make everything sad untrue. And, Father, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would do a work that I could not do. God, it would cause us to have confidence in Christ or conviction of sin. God, help us, Lord, to just trust you more today than we did yesterday. Give us grace to trust you more. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's all stand and let's see. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.